Gannon, and I'm mad about miniatures. Today, we talked to Jordan Afonso on Instagram at Oilers Workshop. He makes the most realistic urban and street scenes I have ever seen. He also is the force behind at Tiny Art Experiment on Instagram, a miniature art display involving 20 artists from six different countries. So join me as we go beyond the dollhouse to explore a little different aspect of the miniature scene. Hi, Jordan. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. You know, we met in person at IOMA, and I love your stuff. And one of the questions I have, you know, I was trying to think of a way to describe what you do. And I came up with a couple descriptions, and then you tell me yours. Street art miniaturist, sci-fi dioramas, urban artists. What speaks to you? What I usually say is I, I make miniatures and wearable art and whatever moves me. And you described a bunch of the things that moved me. I did, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. I like all that stuff stylistically, but I like to make surrealist art and different types of things in miniature. Yes. I mean, you're definitely a miniaturist. You're definitely an artist. I would not call you a dollhouse miniaturist. No, probably not. (laughs) One of the things that I love that I see you put up a lot now are these great dumpsters, which I was able to examine in person, and trash bags. What intrigues you? What makes you want to make these? I mean, I find them cool. They speak to me, but they're not traditionally beautiful. What do they mean to you? It's a combination of things, really. I have always been fascinated with miniatures and miniature art, whether it's dollhouses or action figures, or because those are all technically miniatures. I've always been obsessed with design, and I really, really like industrial design. I like mechanical things and the shape and geometry of things. And for some reason, I, I just settled down one day about seven or six or seven years ago, and I was like, I want to try to make something as good as I could possibly make it. And I figured, what is an object that's got flat sides that I can make with materials I have accessible to me at the time? I decided on a dumpster. I was like, you know, I bet I could probably figure that out. And so I tried to make the most realistic miniature dumpster I could with materials that were available to me. And what you saw Vegas at IMOMA was the the evolution of that. And that's basically as hyper real as I've been able to do it so far. It's pretty real. And even the trash bag looks so real. Is that just a little piece of plastic tied up? Do you actually have to make bags? As silly as it sounds, it really looks like trash. And I bet that's <laughs> harder than, than people think it is. Well, it was hard to figure out initially. Once I figured it out, though, it's actually, I'm just going to, you know, don't tell anyone. But <laughs> it's a, kind of a piece of cake to make the trash bags. I have a video on my YouTube showing anybody who wants to know how to do it, how to do it. The, the thing about making something hyper real for me was I found it's not just about how you paint it or having it scaled correctly. It's also about having the proper material thickness to make it look right in that scale. Well, those trash bags is one of the things I figured that out on. So I, after I did the first dumpster, I was like, how do I make a trash bag? And I looked at life-size trash bags. And one of my favorite shows and, and things I like to watch is how it's made. I watched some of that and I got inspired to kind of try to reverse engineer a life-size trash bag. And you realize trash bags are made by heat sealing the edges. Okay, is there a way I can do that in miniature? And you start thinking about everything that's hot, like a curling iron and a piece of wire or a soldering iron. But that would all just melt it, you know. So I'm like, how do I do this? And A blow dryer? Yep. 
so that's if you have a blow dryer that gets hot enough, you can use that. I actually have a heat gun. You can buy them at Harbor Freight Tools or, or a Home Depot for you know ten to twenty bucks, and it just implies hot heat. So I realized you could just sandwich cut up pieces of, of normal size trash bags together, and just leave the edge sticking out, and then hit it with a heat gun, and it'll melt itself shut. Oh. That's what I do. But I also realized if you use like heavy duty bags, the material is too thick. It doesn't work right. So honestly, the best trash bags to use to make miniature trash bags are the cheapest, thinnest ones because they look correct in one twelve scale. And then, did you actually measure a trash bag and then just reduce it to one one twelve? So I started with that, but sometimes, as you may or may not have experience, when you scale something down, you might have to fudge another dimension to make it fit or look right. Yeah. So yeah. So what I discovered is I actually have to oversize them a little bit. So that when I shrink all the edges and fold it inside out, it actually sits correct. I found out that six inches by eight inches is like a large yard trash bag. If you cut that out and then sandwich it, do all that edging, and then flip it inside out and then fill it with paper and then tie the knot, that's the correct size. But if you go to an actual correct size and try to do all that other stuff in miniature, it doesn't work out right. I mean, that's the artistry, right? Yeah. Well, that's really cool. And then what are the dumpsters made out of? It's a combination of materials. There's two different ones that I make. I make the ones with like the black plastic style lids, and then I make ones with the big metal lids. And it's a bunch of different materials. It's PVC sheet, styrene. There's even some brass, some aluminum tubing, steel wire, nails, and I think that's it. Oh, yeah, I make the wheels out of dowel rod. So there's a little bit of everything in there to make it look right. So does it take a long time to make one? It does. I've gotten it down, but it still takes time. They're little mini art pieces. Everyone is unique and different, and each one takes a slightly different amount of time depending on how much weathering I decide to do to it or, or whatnot. And it depends on the, the style, but if I go one start to finish, you're looking at more than a day. So I can see that. They really are about as hyper-real as anything I've ever seen in miniature. Well, thank you. I, I tend to go towards that rather than just aesthetics you know, and, pl- and pleasing to the eye. I try to make it... As realistically mundane as possible, because that's that's what appeals to me. And you also like, is it water towers? Yeah, water towers or little water cisterns on the top of buildings. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fascinating. One of the things you were doing at IMOMA was you had this great Star Wars diorama that was part of the tiny art experiment which you organized. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So there's a whole layer, another layer to the miniatures community that I'm not sure a lot of the folks from sort of traditional minis in the dollhouse world is that aware of yet, which is the toy photography and diorama building for action figures world, which is kind of where I'm coming from on in on this. I mean, I like it all, but I'm I'm most known in that community. And there's a enormous and I'm talking hundreds of thousands of people mostly on Instagram, who love all this. And a lot of the toys that are made in in 112 scale and action figures are either Marvel or Star Wars. And so I had the idea to maybe bring some of the community together to try to make a crowdsourced, if you will, diorama. Like if we all made a piece of it and somebody, which ended up being me, had to bring it all together into one cohesive piece. And so I made a list of things that people could make that would be included in a miniature Star Wars world for miniature Star Wars action figures. And I let people pick what appealed to them until we had all the slots filled up. We just went crazy and we ended up getting artists from six different countries to contribute. And what you saw in Vegas was the result of that. 
the whole project really took what a year, two years. Uh, to, it really took two years. I mean, I, everything was done with volunteer time and volunteer work. Nope, everybody paid their own way to make their own thing, ship their own thing, including me. I made mo- all of the buildings except two just to help bring it together because most people made accessories or figures or vehicles or little antennas or whatever. And I incorporated it. And my part, just because I had to incorporate it when I had time, and that stretched it out to just under two years to get it finished. I think you doing the buildings really helped because it was a, a unifying factor. Yeah. The stucco or stone you used, I mean, when you told me it was regular cardboard, it really, <laughs> really surprised me. The way you placed it, too, that was at your discretion, how you put it all together? Yeah, I mean, you could technically reconfigure that however you want. That's just the way I ended up doing it that day uh, when we did the setup in Vegas. Oh, I know at one point you took it out in the desert and did a YouTube on setting it up. Did you set it up differently that day? Yeah, I I laid it out differently every time. I mean, it technically could be completely different every time you do it. Yeah, I did a lighting test. I always try to make whatever I make look as real as possible in harsh, bright sunlight. And I feel like if I can make it look good in bright daylight in the sun, it's going to look good in any lighting. And so the video you're talking about on my YouTube, I drove it out to a place in northern Nevada called the Moon Rocks that looks a lot like... Star Wars that already. And I just laid it all out out there. And uh, what we ended up doing in Vegas was having to fit whatever we could on the table with everyone else's contributions, which I hadn't done yet. So it was actually a first in Vegas for me to set all that up that way. How many times did you rearrange it? Oh, I think I spent six hours rearranging it. (laughs) That sounds about right, Jordan. It sounds about right. And you had sand on the table. Did you spend some time sort of, I'm not going to say playing with the sand. What do you say, arranging the sand, sculpting the sand? Yeah, but I did record myself doing the initial setup. And I think I have 20 minutes of me playing with sand (laughs) in the footage. Well, what I found so interesting about the project, well, actually so many things. I love how you brought people together. I love Star Wars. But, you know, when I looked at it, it was great. But then I got down at eye level and I put my phone down at eye level, like, you know, like I was down at the building. Mm-hmm. And it, it went from really cool to hyper real. Yeah. You know, getting down at that eye level where you're at that doorway, it had a completely different look. I mean, it just popped. Yeah, that's one of the things that I think is so special about miniatures in any form, you know, uh, because of that. And that takes me back to when I was a kid on my living room floor playing with lego blocks making houses and little streets and then putting my ninja turtles and my star wars figures in the world and creating a scene so really i'm just doing that again but as an adult (laughs) and that's putting that camera down there getting the the view from the the height of a because that was 118th scale that diorama putting the camera lens at the what three and three quarters of an inch high which is the eye eye height of one of those characters really sells the realism and i i love that about miniatures I love that, too. And you had several toy photographers come, and that setup was just a treasure, a bonanza for them. <laughs> That's always the way that I think. And to, fa- to, to have two people show up who were qualified to film it in that manner, we had uh, Eunice from Motion Hand Productions and Harry, uh, who's on Instagram, a cinematographer. Both of those guys have been through film school and they know what they're doing from a professional level. And to have them be excited to mess with it and film it and play with it was it was great. Yeah, I saw a little bit of the screens with one of them and definitely some some movie magic involved. Yep. Well, honestly, that's really what got me into miniatures in the first place. 
first time I saw Star Wars as a kid, and then my mother explained to me that everything I saw, all those special effects were miniatures, I was like, blew my mind when I was a kid. And ever since then, I've been wanting to figure out how to make miniatures, how to do that for myself. And so to have it kind of come full circle where we now have stop motion animators getting down in there and creating little scenes, it was just special to see that. Oh, that is really cool. That is, you know, like you said, it it comes full circle. Well, you know, I didn't realize when I first got into miniatures, which hasn't been that long during the pandemic, and then about a year or two after that, I'd made some friends, and one of them was a miniaturist, and her partner went to the miniature show with her. And I said, Jay, I didn't know you did miniatures. He's like, well, I have, I do scenes from my Ninja Turtles. There you go. And I was like, what? (laughs) And that was the first introduction, and I'm like, well, how big are those? You know, what miniatures work with those? Right. <laughs> and it gave me a whole different appreciation. And then I started looking on Instagram and I saw these, you know, people, how to build a brick wall for them. Oh, yeah. And I thought there'd be a few of them, but there's not a few of them. Mm-hmm. There's thousands and thousands of them. Yeah. There's a lot of overlap. And that's what uh, I plan on talking about in one of my future videos, too is there's so much overlap that I think some of these communities who have traditionally been isolated, you've got the dollhouse folks, you've got the die-cast car folks, you've got the action figure folks, you've got the model car people, the model plane people, the model train people. They all cross over because of miniatures. And I think those worlds are starting to collide because of the online communities because there are – I shared some videos from IMOMA of some of the artists' wonderful minis, and I had – hundreds of people asking me, where can I get that? Where can I get that? Because people wanted to get them to put in scenes with their Ninja Turtles or their Batman or their whatever. Exactly. I just always felt that, you know, we shouldn't define ourselves too narrowly because there's so much we can probably learn from each other. And even if our, you know, our static is different, a lot of the same skills go into creating it. And it's still the same love of miniatures, right? I completely agree to, to an extreme degree. I agree with that. I mean, you know, I make a little bit of everything, but I, you know, I'm known for my dumpsters and my water towers and I was enjoying everything. Everybody, you know, we had the gentleman there who made the Renaissance sculpture, handmade metal cast lamps. To me, that was really special. And you might not think I would be into that, but I, I love it, you know. Right. We have more in common than still 99% of people who don't have miniatures a hobby. I agree. I agree. And that's 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 part of the motivation behind my YouTube is realizing that as much as I would like to earn a living making things for people, I don't have the time to make everything for everybody and I never will. And sometimes people would rather learn and it doesn't make sense to hold back from sharing that knowledge. So that's why I have a YouTube is to kind of help build the community and share share what I'm learning. Well, that's very generous of you. And and you do actually make a living as a professional miniaturist, right? I'm working towards a full-time living. I'm not there yet, but that's the goal. Okay. And do you do work for corporations, for toy manufacturers? Do you sell things individually, a little bit of all that? I would say a little bit of all of it. A lot of my work has come through professional photographers who get hired by corporations to shoot ads or marketing campaigns. So I've done pieces that have been included in League of Legends marketing, which is a, an online video game. I've done for their action figure line. I've done stuff for Lady Footlocker ads. I made a miniature New York City brownstone that was used in a Footlocker ad. Was that representing a mini brownstone or was it filmed as if it were a real brownstone? 
Well, sort of both. The marketing campaign was to play off the concept of miniatures, but the miniature characters that the photographer used, you can look him up. Uh, his name is Jax Navarro, Plastic Action on um, Instagram. He got another artist to make some miniature characters on which he put miniature shoes, and he had them walking in front of my brownstone like they were hanging out in Brooklyn. Oh, that's cool. It was all part of a scene where a few artists came together to make that scene. When you were a kid, would you ever have thought that you could, as an adult, do this and make some money from it? You know, it didn't cross my mind, and I think that's one of the things that helped me focus on just enjoying what I do and focusing on trying to get as good as I can at it is just enjoying what I'm doing. I've thought about this question because I always feared that if I did think about it as I want to get to this as a career, would I have focused on the wrong parts of it? So I didn't, I guess is my answer, but I'm glad I didn't because now I kind of can do it because I've just done it because I love it. Well, how long have you been doing this? Kind of is a define this question for me then, because I have been interested in miniatures and miniature art ever, like I said, ever since I was about seven years old, but I had never really had the funds or space or tools to do what I really wanted to do until I was an adult who had some level of adult money and time and, and space. I've always fiddled around with things, whether it was gluing cardboard together to make little cardboard box dioramas or learning how to use spray paint when I was a kid or learning how certain types of paints and glues work together on painting a model car. So there's all these little things I picked up over the years, but I always wanted to try molding and casting and using a heat gun and using a drill. And I never knew how to do any of that. But then I got a little bit older and I got some workspace and I got some tools with a small business I started. And I was like, hey, I should try some of these things again. And that was about 10 or 11 years ago. So I've been pursuing this in, in a more serious manner for about the last decade. One of the things we talked about at IMOMA that I hadn't really been aware of is what a special field toy photography is. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, well, there is, it'll just like there's a whole hobby ecosystem out there for dollhouses and dollhouse miniatures and you have different people who do things for different reasons you have the same in the toy world as well and one of those is toy photography you might have people who make dollhouses and sell them but you might have people who just want to buy them and collect them and then you have people who like to buy things and film it you know and that's it's no different it's honestly no different in the toy world you have people who literally just enjoy creating scenes with their toys and they photograph them to create beautiful images or sometimes video. And literally just as a hobby, I would say most of them do it as a fun hobby. Some of them have do it professionally. There's uh, a few people I know. There's Six Scale Mafia. He's the professional toy photographer for the company that makes one Six Scale Star Trek figures. There's Jax Navarro, who does independent toy photography, who I've worked with. There's Johnny, who's Sergeant Bananas, who is the staff photographer for a toy company called Super 7. So some of these guys do it professionally, but they all started out as hobbyists, doing it because they enjoyed just the idea of creating little mini movies or stills from movies with their toys. And so there, if you search the hashtag toy photography on Instagram, you're going to get hundreds of thousands of posts of people doing that. So really not any different than those of us who create content or toy reels from the things they buy or the things they make. Not at all different. I would say, in fact, conceptually, it's basically the same thing. You're just, you're just coming in from a different angle. It's just the aesthetics that look a little different. Yeah. There's so much more crossover and similarity that I think we should all embrace. 
Right. Well, I remember when I was first trying to decide whether to do a podcast and I looked up, you know, miniature podcast. And to my surprise, I actually found a ton and I was really surprised. And then I looked and it was not, you know, dollhouse miniatures or Barbie miniatures. It was all War of Worldcraft miniature. <laughs> right. <laughs> about painting them, creating them. There were tons of them. And I remember going, oh, that makes sense. You know, I'd heard of it. So my kids had played some of it. But it just hadn't occurred to me that there were so many people out there doing that. Yeah, that's a whole other layer I, m- I mentioned earlier. But the tabletop gaming world has been in doing miniatures for decades. Yeah, and I just can't help but think that, that there's got to be some advantage to crossing over, to seeing what techniques, what products are available in these other little subcultures, so to speak. Yeah, I've learned a lot from watching tabletop miniaturists. You know, they're working in in incredibly small scales, but I've learned a lot about how to use different airbrush paints, what types of glues and things work to hold down certain types of materials to make realistic looking ground and grass that I've applied to my miniatures that are much larger. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so that was one one thing that was cool about uh, the Vegas show is that there was a greater variety of different types of miniaturists all together in one space than I had seen before. Yeah, it was wonderful to see. And I know, uh, I think they mentioned that they're hoping to do more of that. And I hope to be a part of that, too. Oh, me too. So what are your goals or future plans? I accepted a lot of commissions from folks who had requests. And to be completely frank, you know, I said yes to a lot of projects and found out that Life was not ready for me to do those as quickly as I planned. So my goal is to catch up my commissions and then uh, focus more on my YouTube and grow that for people. Once I catch up those commissions, I'm going to be doing some pretty large projects that no one has. I have not seen anybody do or do in the way that I'm going to be doing them to present different skills and different ideas to the world on YouTube I have a whole whiteboard in my shop that every time I have an idea that I think I might want to execute, I'll write it down on that whiteboard. And it is a four foot by six foot whiteboard and I have no space left on it. And so I hope to get to those projects as soon as possible, showing off uh, all the fun ideas I've had that haven't been able to do yet on my YouTube. Can you give us any hints as to anything on the whiteboard or is it all top secret? If you look behind me in my videos, I have a lot of action figures and I have a lot of science fiction items. I plan on making very, very large pieces inspired by those that are from some of those movies or games or stories that uh, are going to be pretty broad and spectacular. So that's, I could say that. Ooh, that sounds like something to look for. Oh, and I had the idea the other day, I will say, I think I want to make a dollhouse, my, my first dollhouse, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do my version of it. Oh, I do have a few ideas on how I might want to set it up. It may not even be a whole house as much as it will be a bunch of individual rooms with all completely different themes, maybe set up in a way that people can enjoy each room separately, but in one space, something like that. But you might be surprised to know when I was in high school, I was interested in pursuing architectural design for a while, which is something that has helped me in my miniature building and designs because I learned a lot about how buildings are actually built and, and how they go together. I worked as a drafts person for a couple of architects and mechanical engineers, and I do enjoy architectural and home design and interior design. I'm not opposed to doing just a beautiful home. I just feel like that might be a project I'll save for when I catch up my commissions. Jordan, I wouldn't bet against you being able to do anything. Well, that's very <laughs> kind of you to say.
So we do have the supervillain lair, or do we have Mr. Ninja Turtle having coffee in the morning with his newspaper? You know, that I think your second one is leaning more towards where I might be going with it, because I do like humor, and I like drawing people in with surrealism. And I have two little android action figures, and the couch that my wife made at IMOMA, taking Paris's class, was exactly the type of, like, it's our couch. She made it basically our couch we have at home. So I put these two little androids on it. They were, they're holding each other on the couch, listening to some music. And so I would be making things like that. I would make a serious home, but with slightly less serious, maybe characters and scenes happening in it. Oh, I kind of love that. And then they could be listening to records, you know, with a theme of like robot love. Exactly. So that's exactly where I'd probably go with my dollhouse. I might put Batman, you know, taking a shower, but it's a serious bathroom. Batman deserves beauty, too. Superheroes got to get out of that sweaty costume and take a shower sometime. So exactly. And who's to say <laughs> they don't want to do it in a in a top notch bathroom? Exactly. <laughs> I'm thinking of the Hulk taking out the trash or no. It'd be funnier to have the Hulk, like, painting something, you know. (laughs) Oh, man, that's a good idea. I might have to borrow that. So you didn't pursue architecture, but obviously you have quite a bit of building know-how. Yeah, that really helped me. I got interested in drafting my sophomore year in high school, and by the time I was done with high school, I could have pursued a career in just being a drafts person or a lead drafts person. But, you know, I also have ADD, and sitting there drawing lines all day can get pretty exhausting. And what I learned was I was more attracted to the design aspect of everything rather than the construction aspect. And so, you know, learning that you have to go to school for many years and learn all these engineering principles and stuff to be able to even get to the point where you can be the guy that does the design and is hired for that was like, hmm, I'm not sure this is the best path for me at the moment. So I took a step back, but I learned a lot of very valuable skills. Did you grow up with a mother or father who taught you to do a lot of these things? Uh, I wouldn't say taught, but I definitely was encouraged. On both sides of my family, it's a long line of musicians and artists. My parents met because my mother was a jazz singer. My dad was a jazz uh, saxophone and keyboard player. But they both are artists as well. And they basically, whenever I wanted to do something artsy-fartsy, they were were right there with me. They'd go ahead or they were doing it with me. Oh, that's so great. I mean, it really is that encouragement that makes all the difference, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's good for kids, even if you don't end up pursuing it as a career or even as a big hobby. It's important to know that you can make things, that you have that competence. You know, I I think there's value in that. I agree. I get a lot of questions sometimes on my Instagram. You just made me think of this from folks who want to make miniatures or want to make a diorama for their toys or whatever, but they don't know where to start. And I find a lot of times I just tell them, Go buy a piece of insulation foam at Home Depot for six bucks. Go buy a box cutter. Try to make some brick. And then look at the brick walls in your neighborhood and see what they look like. Try to go for it. And I would say nine out of ten times people come back and they send me a finished image or video of a brick wall that they created that looks amazing. A lot of times you just have to dive in and see that it's possible to, to realize anybody can do it. Oh, I agree. My kids always had all these projects at school where they'd have to make posters and crafts. And, you know, one night after too many nine o'clock runs to get art supplies at Michael's or wherever, I just went and at the beginning of the year, I buy this huge box and I just throw stuff in there. And I was like, you know what? Something in there will be what you need. You know, you got to figure that out. (laughs) Oh, you have no idea. I don't know what what you guys might call that, but in the steampunk world, they usually refer to boxes of endless junk as obtainium, 
So ah. they're all things that you've obtained that you don't know what they're for yet, but they will be for something eventually. So I have entire shelving units full of obtainium. Minicurus who are listening, I know each and every one of you have boxes and boxes of obtainium. Yes, I'm sure they do. Uh, we all have those, you know, scraps of fabric or metal or whatever. Yeah, I have a whole video on getting people started on how to make miniature windows on my YouTube and a lot of people, that eludes them because you think you think window, you need metal, you need a frame, you need glass, you don't need any of that. And I show them, I save the bubble packaging off of my action figures because it's clear already. And I cut out my window glass out of that. And I use cereal box cardboard to create the frame. And as long as you paint it carefully, it turns out looking like a miniature window. So I have drawers and drawers of packaging from action figures and saved cereal boxes just for stuff like that. Oh, I totally agree. That that plastic is perfect. Yeah, it's great. So what kind of reaction did you get at IMOMA? Did people think like, say, hey, where's the dollhouse, buddy? Or were people <laughs> interested? <laughs> I had a couple of those that did, yeah. You know, it was, it was kind of what I expected. I... After seeing all the folks that were going, I was like, this is going to be fun to see how people react. But it was definitely a mixed bag. But I think that's expected because as we were talking about, there's a lot of crossover. And I think there's a lot of people who are just starting to discover that crossover. And I'm will, I'm willing to be the, one of the first ones to dip my toe in the pond and go, here I am. Look at my stuff, you know. So we got some folks who, who thought my stuff was too big because they're used to seeing maybe stuff that's scaled down, especially if it's something like a dumpster to go along mm-hmm. with a dollhouse. But I had to some people I had to get a ruler out and go, look, it's six inches wide and dumpsters are six feet wide in real life, you know. So it's one twelve scale, I promise. And then we had some folks who were entirely mesmerized by it. And then we had some folks who uh, just kind of stared at it. I think I walked by when you were measuring <laughs> Yeah, it. I walked by and I was like, yeah, dumpsters are big. Yeah, I made it so well, it seemed like it was wrong, I guess. I don't know. That's pretty funny. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's good to stretch boundaries. Ten years ago, you wouldn't have seen, well, maybe there are exceptions, you wouldn't have seen miniature work in galleries the way you see it now. Miniatures are starting to evolve into lots of different things. I think that's partly because of the breaking down of the barriers and partly because of just people kind of doing more of it. But, you know, that's how you get there. That's how it gets recognized as art. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Putting yourself out there and letting people kind of react to it. Everyone's coming from a different perspective, and we're all just seeing a little slice of each other's life. So when somebody reacts like they don't understand it, or they're confused, or they're or they they think it's the wrong thing to be there, or whatever. I just go, okay, well, thank you, you know, because I've been that person before with other things in my life. You realize it might just take a little time for it to process, and then all those little connections start happening. So tell us, I've seen it, but tell us a little bit about your viral video. Well, I made a set for a toy photographer, Jason Young. His Instagram account is called Work More or Less. We did a trade. He actually is a graphic designer, and I needed some logo work done. So I made him a diorama equal to the amount of work he was going to do for me for some logo work and some graphics for my YouTube. And he told me what he wanted, and so I made an alleyway scene that is modular, meaning you can flip the walls around and it's different on each side. Or there you can take a second story off and put it on the ground and it looks like another wall. There's three different pieces of ground and asphalt that you can move around and you can make an L shape, you can make a straightaway. So I took that setup and I made just a straight alleyway out of it. And I took it outside and I put it in the harsh sunlight. 
And I just set my camera up like you were bringing up with the tiny art experiment at the eye level of someone in one twelfth scale. And I hit record so that it looks like somebody standing in an alleyway with their phone. And then I reached my big old giant hands over the wall, grabbed the wall, lifted it up, flipped it around and put it back down and removed my hands. It was meant to be a trick of the eye. Like you think you're looking at an alleyway waiting for something else to happen. And then these giant hands come in and pick up the wall. So that was the video. And I paired it with some audio that was on Instagram that I thought was funny. It was a a young kid talking about how they worked really, really hard on a piece of art, but they only got 16 likes. And I just thought that was humorous because we've all been that kid before. We've all had an expectation that did not go fulfilled properly. And so I was like, oh, that's funny. I'll pair this with my video. And I did. And it went insane. I got 25,000 new followers in less than three weeks. My reel hit like 3.6 million views. And my biggest item on my Etsy store sold in a couple of days. It was crazy. That is crazy. You know, it was on a whim. I've actually shared that exact video before. But with just the audio of the street sounds when I was filming it, I realized when I shared that I only had a few thousand followers. And now at that point, I was up to like 14,000. So I said, maybe I should share this again so some of these new followers can see this because they probably haven't scrolled back four years of my Instagram. I just on a whim decided to reshare it. And I was like, that's a funny audio. And so I had no idea that was going to happen, but it did. (laughs) I'm sure you already know this, but others out there, you really can re-show your reels about every three months. Yeah, yeah, I'm discovering that because you get so many new people coming through, and some people miss what you already posted. So, you know, I've been that person where I've worried that, oh, I don't want to share the same thing twice because then that's boring, but I'll do that, and people love it, and it's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Well, if you think about it, three months, even someone who follows you, even if they watched every day, which they didn't, they're not going to necessarily remember it. Yeah, I noticed one of my favorite artists did that quite a bit, and I never really took note of it until now. Joshua Smith, street artist, he's an incredible miniature artist, and he was share he was kind of rotating back his own work and different angles of it, and I was like, hmm, maybe I should try that, and I didn't until now. Yeah, well, I think with needing so many reels and so much content, I think it kind of makes sense if you've got something you like. I agree. Well, Jordan, it was just really fun to see the Star Wars diorama at IMOMA. You know, sometimes when I had a moment, I'd just look over at your table and kind of look at people's reactions to it. (laughs) Yeah, it was special to sit across from it, too, and have people not realize I was kind of the one curating it. So I got to hear people's genuine reactions, and I I don't think I heard any negative anything at all. All the reactions were exactly what all of the artists hoped for. So I was actually sneaking pictures of people reacting and getting in there with their cameras and sharing them with the 20 other artists that contributed in a private Instagram group, just to let them know that their work was being appreciated by people. I mean, two years in the making. A lot of anticipation, yeah, especially for our folks. We had an artist contribute from Norway, from Spain, two from the UK, one from Australia, and they were like, wow, I'm so glad I sent this to America so that it could be on display in Vegas for people to see. You know, that was really special to them. That's great. So what happens to the piece now? It's sitting on a shelf in my shop, (laughs) so we're still working on that. I've actually talked to the artists, and we may be doing another project with another theme again and inviting more people to get involved, but i got to take a break for myself for now, but we would like to do something additional or new down the road. 
Well, that's great. I can't wait to see that. Well, thanks again for being on the show, and thanks for opening up our eyes to sort of a, a whole nother part of being a miniature artist. Thank you for welcoming me, and I'm definitely happy to be a part of all these communities, and I definitely will make sure that I continue to uh, share what everyone does with everyone else. Oh, that's fantastic. Have a good day, Jordan. You too. Bye. Wow. Jordan is so talented, and I really enjoyed talking to him and learning about a little different side of the miniature world. I hope you did, too. My next episode comes out Tuesday, June 13th, featuring Corinne of the mega-popular Instagram at my underscore life underscore in underscore miniature. I love Corinne's miniatures and the way it seems like every drawer and chest has a whole mini-story stuffed in it waiting to be discovered. Tune in on the 13th to hear how she does all this and has seven children on the next Mad About Miniatures. Till then, remember, there are no rules in your dollhouse except for those you create for yourself. Goodbye.